Welcome back indeed, episode number 59, Rasball Fantasy Basketball Podcast, Sun and Joel edition. Um, I'm coming back from, I still got Las Vegas hangover, so uh, mentally discombobulated still a little bit. Uh, so this this uh, pod is strictly going to be all about Joel. Um, what's going on, my man? How you doing? It sounds like I'm doing better than you, but uh, you know, <laughs> to talk about low bars here. I'm doing okay, man. It's nice, uh, nice. it's beautiful out. The sun, the sky is out. Uh, this might be the nicest day I've ever had in Milwaukee in January. So okay. uh, we're relishing uh, the relative, uh, you know, the relative niceness. I know that you guys are getting. Do you have all those storms down yeah, your way? Yeah, it's been raining like crazy. Yeah, it's been insane. Um, and, you know, out here, like, people freak out when it rains. And, you know, just the infrastructure, right? Like, a lot of places, um, it just, they can't handle that flood of raining. So it, it doesn't drain properly, and then it just pools and floods. And um, I actually, one of my biggest car accidents ever, and, you know, it's ironic like this, right? Because... When I was younger, I used to drive like a madman race and just go crazy, you know, Grand Theft Auto style. But, you know, honestly, my I've had two big accidents. And those two accidents were when I was actually being very cautious. So I don't know what the universe is trying to tell me. I think the universe is trying to tell me just keep the metal, the pedal to the metal and uh, just go forward. But anyways, I'm driving to work the freeway. You know, luckily, it was super early. So, you know, there was no traffic. But um, I guess there was a pool of water. And I just started hydroplaning and, you know, like I knew, I know what to do, brake, you know, counter steer and all that stuff. But I just started just hydroplaning sideways and then boom, hit the center divider. Uh, it was pretty crazy. So like, um, yeah, every time, uh, every time there's rain, you know, that I always, I always think about that. I'm like, all right, I don't want to hydroplane, no hydroplaning today. <laughs> Yikes. That's scary, man. It is. It is. All right. So before we, uh, I turn it over to you. Um, two things I want to do. One is, uh, since this is episode number 59, there's only one player in the NBA with the number 59, Rajon Tucker. And he's actually was pretty recent. Uh, went undrafted 2019, played college at Florida, Gulf Coast, and Little Rock. In the NBA, he had stints with Utah, Phil, uh, Philadelphia, Denver, Milwaukee, and then obviously interspersed with a lot of G League appearances. Now he's in Australia. In terms of 59 points scored, it's happened 16 times in NBA history. Booker, Wilt has done it eight times. AD, Embiid, Harden, MJ, Dame, Jack Twyman, and Purvis Short. So this is the second time Purvis Short has come on. So I had no idea who he's who he was. For me, Purvis, I always say Purvis Ellison, right? So I went back and did a little digging. I mean... Averaged 28 points per game for Golden State in 1984. So he had a stretch of like three, you know, three years in the early 80s where I mean, he was getting buckets like over 20 points. So I was like, oh, man, all right. Perfect short. Perfect short it is. Um, so that's good stuff. The other one I wanted to say was, uh, you know, our, our past pods, you know, we're, I mean, we have been on the kind of development and growth and learning tip and kind of change, right? And... Uh, making mistakes and um, change does happen, right? Sometimes it takes longer than normal, but it eventually happens. And so, you know, every time I go to Vegas, there's everyone 
when you go to Vegas, there's always a funny story, right? So my funny story for Vegas this time was, um, you know, play poker, had three, three sessions. First two were good sessions. Uh, and then the final night before, so, so Saturday night, you know, I went back for one, one last session, uh, you know, slow, wasn't doing much. Um, but you know, the whole time I was playing, you know, I, I played well, right. Very disciplined, never tilted, emotionally stable, everything. So it was all good. Uh, and, and then I had my pocket aces cracked. Right. And so, you know, it happens when I was younger, I would get tilted face, you know, I like just start going crazy. I'm like, ah, my aces get cracked. But now, you know, I'm at the point where, you know, experience, right. And just like, all right, you know, that's, it is what it is, right. That's part of the game. Right. And so I get up to walk, put on my jacket. And so, you know, the kid that, that cracked me, he, he came to the table maybe like 10 minutes earlier. And his buddy was on the rail, right? Like just watching him and encouraging him. So I'm getting up, I'm about to leave. And this dude, he's super drunk, right? And he starts like grabbing me, getting up in my face. And he's like, way to play, man, way to play. <laughs> just oh, like talking no. all sorts of shit, right? I was like, he's like, good playing, man, good playing, bro. And I was just like, oh, shit, all right, all right, it's like that. And in my younger days, I would have fucking lost my shit, right? I probably just would have just headbutted him or punched him in the face, just, you know, but, you know, now I just, like, kind of looked at him. I was like, all right, well, first, I don't want to get COVID from you because you don't got a mask and you're spinning all over the place. (laughs) And then, two, I was just like, you know what? Like, all right, like, you're super drunk, you know, whatever, right? It's Vegas. You got your boy there. And I was just like, all right, just put on my Ryu knapsack and just walk off into the sunset. And then, you know, just kind of reflecting upon it. um, Yeah, like I said, you know, in my earlier days, I would have fucking lost my shit. And, you know, I would have just gone ballistic. Uh, But now, um, yeah, you know, just on a different level, you know, it's just like, you know, there's, there's really no need. And, you know, I guess that's part of the growth. And so, you know, that got me thinking into fantasy too, right? And, you know, just my poker playing experiences um just how to deal with stuff and then you know the past couple pods we're talking about like trading and you know like how we deal with it emotionally um so just all that stuff the experience uh just kind of like mental emotional growth uh you know it just kind of just i i mean we've talked about this before everything ties in right lessons learned from one aspect of life right they're applicable to everything and since this is a fantasy uh kind of a fantasy oriented pod uh i think uh you know lessons were applicable there as as well um we were kind of talking about your trading you know uh a trade scenario or experience that you had with an owner so uh i kind of want to delve into that too because i thought that was pretty interesting um but uh whenever you feel like you're ready or you want to talk about that it could be this you know in this pod or after because i know you have a lot of stuff that you want to get through um but yeah i think that i think that'll be fun to kind of uh kind of discuss so without further ado that's my vegas story and uh, i will uh <laughs> i will not uh rant anymore the uh the microphone is yours joel well <clears throat> excuse me in honor of your um of your vegas hangover i guess <laughs> um I'm, it, despite it being a nice day up here in milwaukee i've had a, a sort of Difficult time getting jump started in the uh, in the new year here, um, and that makes three of us because I really I wanted to talk with you about what's going on with Giannis. 
Um, so, you know, it's like we're halfway through the season now. We're getting some all-star votes rolling in. Um, you're seeing a lot of, like, campaigning for players and who should be on all-star teams, who should be NBA, all-NBA teams, MVPs, those sorts of things. And Giannis's name is coming up, uh, as it routinely does, because he's an amazing player. Um, but there's a, a real discrepancy between who Giannis is in real life and who and how he's contributing to the Bucks and what he's doing for fantasy owners. Because he, right now, is uh, the 130th best player in nine-cat fantasy. Uh, things are a little bit better if you punt uh, turnovers. He's, uh, he's 53rd in eight-cat. Um, but, you know, if there's this discrepancy between, you know, he's putting up 31, 12, and 5, or whatever it is in, in real life, um, what he's not doing in fantasy basketball um, is really, really driving his value down. It's not just the, uh, the, the turnovers, the free throws have been brutal, of course. You sort of anticipated that, but to, to put it in context – his negative uh, free throw draw is as impactful as having two Zion Williamson's shooting free throws or three Rudy Gobert's. It's so bad, and the volume um, just really, really hamstrings you. Um, and along with that, the, the defensive stats really aren't there. Um, he's under uh, one steal and one block. Um, that's pretty much what he was doing as a rookie. Every other year, he's posted better numbers than that. Um, you know, he's, he's scoring in the, you know, scoring averaging 30 points a game. Um, but he's shooting the lowest, uh, two point field goal percentage in the last five years. Um, he's also shooting, uh, more free throw or more field goal attempts. Um, which means that you're getting the, the negative side of that sword too, like his high volume, uh, free throw and low conversion rate. He's shooting more long twos than ever. Uh, elbow jump shots are almost 10% of his shots. Um, his mid-range efficiency is brutal. He's in the ninth percentile. Um, and then at the rim, where I remember earlier this year, I was talking about him converting at like 88, 89%. Um, that has also fallen off. He's down uh, into the 76th percentile. And over the last three, over the last six seasons, he's been. 94th, 98th, 94th, 95th, 92nd, and 89th. Um, this is a guy that was pretty much automatic at the hoop. Um, so all of it is is sort of culminating in uh, in this really sort of depressed value for him. Um, and I have a theory on this, having okay. watched a little bit of Bucks games. Uh, I think he's kind of Atlas in Milwaukee. Like he's he's the man that holds up everything. Um, you know, he's played without Chris Middleton for almost the entire season. Now, Chris has played seven games out of the 40 that they've played. Uh, Middleton has played more than that. He's played 29. Uh, Joe Ingles missed most of the season. Uh, Pat Connaughton has been hurt. I mean, other than Brooke Lopez, um, who's had just an amazing year, uh, it really, it's just, it's all Giannis. And it really crystallized for me when I was watching them play the, the Raptors last week in a really, really ugly game, you know, that went to overtime and they barely cracked a hundred points. Um, and just the amount of work that Giannis is having to do offensively to score and carry that team 
Uh, I mean, we know that the Bucks overall offensive numbers are really bad this year. And it seems like it's really, it's just him. And so I think that the, the effort that he's having to put forward to get these, to, to get enough offense to keep on winning is bleeding over into the kind of effort that he can give defensively. Um, and just without these other like high level offensive threats, it's really, it's, it's just him. He's not getting nearly the help um, that he's had in years past. So how does that how does that hold up to you? What do you think? Yo, I mean, it's as if you uh, hired some North Korean hackers and got into my brain, and uh, you know, just got into my <laughs> got into my cloud storage base there. Because um, <laughs> uh, I think I wrote something up. Uh, I forgot where. It might have been for the athletic, but yeah so i mean you hit the nail on the head i think that's exactly what i was thinking the first thing that i kind of gravitated toward was uh the super high usage rate and the you know 21.1 field goal attempts you know so in his career that's the first time he's ever cracked uh 20 right he's only been above 19 once and so that yeah immediately that just took me to chris middleton um, because without Chris Middleton, like having that guy, cause a lot of times, um, you know, I mean, they run a lot of actions with Middleton, right? Dribble handoff stuff and, you know, off screens, but, uh, you know, a lot of times like they'll just give him the ball and they just go get a bucket. Right. And so, um, you know, like, like you said, like just without having him, not only, well, first of all, not only does Middleton space the floor better. Right, because he's a you know bona fide offensive threat, and you have to give him attention. But then also, um, yeah, like giving Giannis some possessions off, where you just like Chris, go you know go take care of business, right? And then Giannis can kind of chill uh, a little bit. And then you know, as you mentioned, to kind of ble- that bleeding over to the defensive side, because now he doesn't have those possessions, right? Those one or two possessions per quarter where he can kind of take a break, and then um, now being able to use that energy on the defensive end. Um, I mean, that's exactly where I go. I, I went to too. So, um, yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. I, I agree 100% with kind of your, your logic and your train of thought and kind of how the intersection of everything and how everything connected. Uh, yeah, that's exactly where I was at too. So, which is good because yeah, you, yeah you watch more Bucks games than me. So it's good to know that you're on that same tip. Well, I, especially against the the Raptors, like it really, everything was just so hard, um, and it was it was pronounced because there just wasn't a lot of like, there wasn't a lot of effectiveness that was coming from anyone. Allen wasn't playing well. Uh, Connaughton ended up hitting some some big shots, um, but that was I remember I I turned that game on and I was just stunned at the score. Um, you know, they I think they scored both teams scored fewer than than fifty points in the half, like it, it was gross. Um, but the thing that I, I neglected to mention that you caught was that usage percentage. I mean, it's him um, and above him are Joel Embiid and Luka Doncic, Luka, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so you, you know, you think about what, how the Mavs uh, offense operates and it's just, it's so, it's Luka centric. And because he's bringing the ball up most of the time, you know, you can just watch him dribble, uh, you know, 15 times a possession. Um, and you don't really think about Giannis like that because he's not initiating offense in that kind of way, but it really is. It's just a huge offensive burden that he's, that he's been asked to do, being asked to carry. Um, 
so what do we do with him? Like, you know, I, I have Giannis on one of my teams. He was my first round pick. Um, I don't know. Like, do you think you can sell him because he's got some name value? Are you, uh, are you banking on like Chris coming back and like it getting easier for him? Like, but for me, I'm, I'm wondering like too, like, is there a rest coming? Like if they get Chris back, if they start getting some more players can like, they start to be a little more strategic about how they handle him because obviously the regular season isn't, isn't the priority here. So what do we, what do we do with that? Okay. So first off, um, you know, I've noticed over the past few years, uh, you know, Budenholzer, I mean, he's been very liberal in, you know, sitting Giannis, right? You look at the last three years. So from 2019, 63 games, 61, 67, right? Obviously one of those was a COVID year, right? Prior to that, 72, 75, 80, 79, 71, right? So it was a conscious effort to, right? Because they know they're contenders, right? So mm-hmm. so that was one. I, I, I peaked that maybe like a, a year, year and a half ago, something like that. So that was always one concern uh, for that. So, um, yeah, depending on how things play out, you know, I mean, it could be accelerated, right? They may want to give him more rest. Yeah, you just don't know, right? Um, so that's the first thing. Second thing is that um, with the like with the Middleton returning, I mean, I could see it going either way. One, I could see it being, you know, possibly giving him more rest because you have another score out there. On the other hand, I could see it being like, well, he's missed so much time, and now they need time to kind of gel for the playoffs. So then mm-hmm. they may need more reps. So that one, I'm not sure. I could see that one going uh, in either direction. As for trading him, it, I don't think you can trade him now because you're not going to get good value. You know, I mean, you're going to sell low, right? Because everybody knows where he's at. They know what he's doing, the harm that he's causing. And, you know, they know because of, you know, especially, you know, certain per game rankings and things like that. Like why? Why would you need to pay? You don't need to overpay for him, right? So I remember uh, uh, Jenicky did a trade in one of his, I think it's a Dynasty League. So he, it was uh, Giannis, Kaminga, and I think there was one other piece, a filler piece in there for Bam and Scotty Barnes. And this was maybe, I don't know, what was a couple weeks ago, right? At that time, I thought, I mean, I, I, obviously, I love Bam and Scotty, so I love that side too. But I felt like it's a fine trade, but I felt like he didn't need to give Kaminga, right? Mm. But I mean, I understand it, right? Because Giannis's value, as you know, was so low at that time, right? And then obviously, you factor in the age, so that changes the calculus too. But yeah, you know, for me, I was like, well, yes. I mean, I just felt like yeah, maybe you didn't have to give up Kaminga, but then I guess. In a way, that's indicative of the perception of Giannis, right? Right, because his value has decreased so much that where you have to include a guy like Kaminga in a dynasty league, right, for a trade like that. Um, so, as you alluded to, yeah, the perception of where Giannis is now for fantasy. I don't think trading is the right way to go, just because you're not going to get you know good value for him. So, uh, you just have to make a shrine pray to the gods that uh, Chris Middleton returns in, in good form. Cause I, I do think a healthy Chris Middleton, you know, helps him out big time. It unlocks a lot of things for him on both sides, ends of the court. 
Yeah, so essentially you're saying if you have Giannis, your only chance is to be a Bucks fan now. Because you have to like really be invested in like where's Chris? How's his how's his knee? Yeah. Um, and, and Google, you know, black magic and you know, all sorts of stuff like that. For sure. I um yeah, I mean, you know, I didn't I didn't watch a ton of Bucks games before I moved here. A good buddy of mine is a is a big Bucks fan, has been his whole life. Um and so I had like some conception of like what how this team worked and like Chris Middleton is just indispensable. He, what he does is so needed. Uh, and when it's not there, the thing is just really clunky. Uh, Definitely. And, and Bud is like the, over the years, like the, the, there have been spells of this of where the Bucks offense just like disappears. Um, but yeah, it's, it's going to be important to get Chris back uh, for that team for what they want to do in the playoffs. I think it's going to be important to, just be able to like work him in, get him up to speed and let Giannis take a break. Um, you know, one thing I wanted to kind of say is like, um, you know, obviously Giannis is, you know, if he can get the rebound and go, you know, the Giannis fast break, you know, that's where he, he ultimately feasts. And then in the half court, uh, you know, when they run motions for him or there seams uh, in the defense and then he's able to get to the basket. But when things slog down, like Giannis is not a guy that you can just give him the ball and he's going to get you a bucket, right? Because it's too easy. Well, not easy, but it's easier to defend him because, you know, put up the wall and, mm-hmm. you know, make him shoot, you know, mid-range. He Like he doesn't have, like he's gotten better for sure, but he doesn't have a, a three-point shot or a mid-range shot where uh, like it would break, kind of break down defenses, right? Like make defenses scatter. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's just really slog. Like, so that's the thing about Chris because he's a mid-range assassin, and you know he doesn't need to get all the way to the bucket, right? He doesn't right, need to blow by defenders. Uh, he can just shimmy, you know, shoot over defenders or you know get mm-hmm. a little space, step back, and things like that. So Giannis doesn't have that, so it really bogs him down in the half court for sure. Yeah, not only to the yes, but to the extent of which he doesn't have it. Um, I said he was, you know, 76 percentile at the rim. Uh-huh. He's ninth percentile in the mid range, ninth, and second from three. Like it's, it just it doesn't it doesn't work yeah. when he's like more than nine feet away from the basket. Sure. Um, and, and you just have to put up so much energy to get there. And then they might just foul you anyways, and that's a disaster too. So, <laughs> um, yeah, a little bit of a little bit of concern up here by the lake, but, um, but yeah, so I, I, I agree with, with your sort of read on, on where this is going and what you do with them. I think you just got to sit tight. Um, I saw the well, this is not on the list or on our pod notes, but um, I saw a tweet or Reddit post or something about the Bucks pursuing Bojan Bogdanovic. And I'm so, so interested in that. I think you'd be such a useful addition, especially while Middleton's getting up to speed or hopefully getting up to speed. Definitely. No, they, it's like the perfect type of guy. Um, I just, you know, I remember when uh, Bogdanovich was with, um, was it, yeah, no, he's still Utah, but, you know, basically when he was kind of like a LeBron stopper to some degree, right? Like, um like there were times where like they would play and cause he's big, right? He's what, six, seven, six, eight, you know, he's solid, what, two thirty something like that. I forget his exact weight, but he's solid. And you know, now he's 33, but back then, 
you know, he was a little quicker. Um, and I remember he would, he would give, he would give LeBron some trouble, you know? So like, oh man, that was, that was awesome. Um, well, you, you would think with a, a defense as good as what the Bucks have built is that you could sustain, uh, a minus defender like him. Um, cause you're right. He does have the size to hang up, to hang on. He's six, eight, two thirty is what he's yeah. listed here. And so, you know, if it's, I mean, you're going to have a, you're gonna be asking a lot from Giannis and Brooke and Drew to be covering up uh, all these like creaking uh, uh, international players. If you get Bogdanovich and you've got Joe Ingles out there too, I but, know, right? Uh, they See, need Middleton. They need Middleton. Yeah, they do they need really Middleton. Do. But yeah, too bad it wasn't like you know three years ago. Uh, yeah, <laughs> three years ago Bogdanovich would be like oh perfect, but still I think he would have utility, right? Just because he can shoot and he's tough. Uh, and you know, I do like his mentality cause he, he's always scrapping and stuff like that. So, uh, what, 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 in terms of those, like, uh, those rumors or offers, what would the books have to give up for him? I didn't actually click through the link. That was, uh, that's the Joel special of reading the headline. <laughs> like, I got it. And then yeah, yeah, actually yeah. I do that. I do that too. So, <laughs> um, I mean, if you're, if you're Detroit, maybe you're like giving up Beauchamp, you know, you, know, you want a young player or you want, uh. I don't know what the the pick capital looks like for the for the Bucks now, but they gave up a lot to get Holiday. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know what is left yeah. what is left over. Well, um, yeah. I mean that was a great move. Yeah, I mean you they win a Holiday. you win a championship, yeah. you don't have to worry about it. Yeah. Um, okay, because this is this is the podcast that you're letting me set the agenda all for. You. All you, baby. That means we, we're contractually obligated to talk about John Collins. <laughs> all right. um, he's such a he's a fascinating player to me um you know it was uh what three seasons ago 1920 he was the seventh overall player in nine cat he was scoring points 21.6 points rebounding 10.1 blocking shots 1.6 shooting 58 percent from the field four or 80 percent from the free throw line the usage rate was like 23 three and a half percent he was hitting one and a half threes a game um and ever since then it's been this sort of slow decline um you know he hasn't come close to being a top 10 player he has been able to maintain top 50 production and what's interesting about him this year is that like he's he's managing to stay in the top 50 despite like a lot of what was going on in that uh, 1920 season just being absolutely gone now. Um, so yeah, this year is, is the offense of Nadir. Uh, his usage is a career low, 17.3. Um, he's shooting just over 10 shots a game now. Um, the free throw attempts are down. It's below three. Uh, he's making less than one three a game. Um, the it's I think it's 0.8. Last year was 1.2. The year before that, it was 1.3. The year before that, it was 1.4, which means the scoring is now down to 13.3 points a game. Um, and despite all of that, he's number 48 in 9-cat, number 67 in 8-cat, um, because he's providing his best defensive season since 2018. Um, he's really pushed up his defensive rebounding. He's in the 89th percentile on defensive rebounds. Um He's matched his career high in steals. It's still not great, but 0.8 is not nothing. Yeah. Um, 
and the blocks have really, really come back. He's up to 1.4 a game. That's the second highest of his career. Um, he's giving you more block value than Rudy Gobert, Clint Capella, Evan Mobley, Jared Allen, the Time Lord, Jakob Pertl. Um, he's shooting under 50% from the floor, uh, which is below his career average at 49%. The free throws are still good. Um, the threes, are, like I said, are just gone. Uh, but he's finishing at the rim in the 92nd percentile. Um, so yeah, it's it's now just a, a defense play. It's a it's a blocks and boards play, as opposed to this sort of offensive machine. Um, and so I'm wondering, do you think this is the actual like floor? Is this can it get worse from here? It can always get worse. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, you know. Because there were times where, like a lot of times in each of the past, you know, few seasons, uh, they would play him a lot, and then as the season progressed, they just started taking away his minutes, little by little. It's like Chinese water torture, drip, 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 right? So in a way, it's kind of encouraging that you know he has been playing a lot recently. Um, yeah, thirty, thirty-eight minutes, forty, forty, but you know, I mean, there's twenty-three, twenty, twenty in there mixed to it, right? So. Um, the constant trade rumors, I mean, they obviously, right. They, there's something that they don't like about him. Um, you know, but obviously they don't dislike him enough to just, you know, throw him out there. Like, right. I mean, they obviously like him on some level, but you know, not on the level of <laughs> where they're like, you know, you know, you're untouchable type of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, I'm always confounded by him too. Right. Because I feel like he can he can stuff the stat sheet he can do everything uh, on both ends of the court i think i have come to the realization though now that in terms of offense um you know he's not a guy that is gonna get you buckets like he needs people to facilitate him uh i haven't looked at the numbers this year but i remember last year like in terms of like getting buckets like assisted buckets he was like you know near the top so um, so maybe that's one thing for the Hawks, like they, right? Because they, as like a rim running big type, you know, they have you know Capella, they have a Congo, and so if Collins is like another kind of just rim runner type, you know, I mean, obviously he can space out the floor better than those two, but is he like a, you know, a true spacer? I don't know. So maybe you know maybe they're confused at that. They're like maybe well he can do a little spacing, but not well enough to where we're like, you know, really totally confident in him. And then, you know, he can, yeah, he jumps high and you can throw lobs to him, but that's kind of like a redundant thing because we already have that in the other. So maybe they're, maybe Atlanta's kind of like, ah, I mean, he's a talented player. He's a good player, but does he exactly fit us? So it's just weird. To me, it's always weird. So um, for a little bit of time, I you know, I used to always feel like in the beginning, they want to kind of showcase him. And then you know trade them, and then that's why they bring the minutes down. But then they keep bringing them back, right? So at some point, I mean, you know, the fork in the road is gonna come. Um, it kind of got me thinking to, in a little, in a way, kind of the Aaron Gordon conversation we had, right? Um, maybe he just needs a change of scenery, right? He just needs to be in a different system or a different coaching staff, or uh, maybe he's you know finally beginning to. So maybe it's like a a, a twofold thing. Uh, maybe the the system and the Hawks is not you know best for him, 
and then also from his end uh maybe he's it looks like maybe he's figuring out you know his strengths and weaknesses and so right so mm-hmm. maybe maybe you know he's just still kind of figuring himself out and you know because he's still relatively young right so um sometimes you know it is a process right so i i, I kind of lean towards um there being some upside here uh but I yeah but i i think it's gonna you know it's gonna be on a different team um and it just you know he just has to find the right situation uh and then you know just fully realize kind of like what his game is about and i i do think that he's kind of kind of learning that right um you know the thing is i think most young guys right they're like the man in high school they're the man in college they get all the usage right and um once they get to the nba you know they are no longer the best guy on the team right they're no longer the guy that's gonna initiate offense and stuff like that so i think uh not only is that like from uh, it makes it difficult to transition from a kind of strategic or x's and o's aspect uh but also mentally too i think and uh, i forgot who was saying it but there was a quote you know something relating to guys uh you know they come off like if a guy's injured and they, they you know they fill in for him and they get 30 minutes and then you know they end up scoring like 30 points and then everybody starts losing their fucking minds they're like why isn't this guy playing more like he can get buckets right and blah 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 we're right? gonna talk about that guy later okay. by the way all right, all right. that's a tease <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, there, you know there's a lot of guys like that right um but you know it's just uh yeah i forgot the exact quote it was from somebody what I, I, actually there's there's two quotes in my mind um but I think one was like from Fred VanVleet talking about Siakam and like when he mm. was struggling, like when Kawhi was there and then when Kawhi left, you know, VanVleet was like, yeah, man, it was like, it's a totally different mindset, totally different thing playing with Kawhi. And then, right. And then when he leaves and then people automatically expect that linear kind of relationship of being like, well, okay, so, so Siakam will just automatically fill in there. Right. But, you know, VanVleet was like, well, when Siakam was playing with Kawhi, it required a certain mindset, uh, you know, a certain emotion, you know, emotional kind of, um, kind of foundation. And then when he left, right, then it's he has to, it has to change. Everything changes, right? So, um, yeah, I, I'm, I guess I should probably do a deeper thought experiment to, you know, what, where would be the best fit for Collins? But you know, honestly. I, I usually don't like expending energy on like that's why I don't click on like you I don't click on the trade rumors I don't click on all that stuff because I don't know I feel like it's it's wasted energy wasted thought you know I don't know I certainly get that I mean I also think that it's really it's hard to figure out like who needs a sort of um, well I used to think of John Collins as like an offensive first power forward um, but you know, I think part of the thing that's happened for him in, in Atlanta is like, you know, the thing that I guess a number of things have happened. The biggest one was they signed Clint Capella and he pushed him off the five and just like a lot of those block shots yeah. and a lot of the rebounding just went away because he wasn't playing the center position. Yeah. Um, he was still able to maintain top 50 value because he was mixing in points. He was shooting the three okay, um, still blocking shots and he was converting at a really high rate or at a, a higher rate than he was previously. Um, but I, I just feel like so much of his offensive game has been capped 
he doesn't he's a player that doesn't really have any rhythm right um which is why you know you see something like that that three-point percentage just collapses like i don't know he's he used to shoot um he used to shoot more frequently. He's shooting fewer threes now than he ever has. And he's making them infrequently because like, he just, he's only, he has any like offensive feel. The only things that like what you said, the only things that he was able to finish was lobs at the rim, putbacks, you know, pretty much just like dunking. Um, and so like, you know, what you used to be, you're shopping for a, an offense first power forward. Like, I don't know, maybe that guy is still in there. Um, but really you look at what he's been doing now and it's like it's rebounds and block shots and like okay efficiency um and so when i you know when i asked you like what can it get worse or is this the floor i mean part of what i think it definitely can get worse (laughs) not just as a rule but also because (laughs) um since uh since christmas he's had a blocked shot at least one block shot in every game except for one. And he had a three game or three block game, two, two block games, then two, three block games over the last like week. So he's been super valuable on a player Raider, you know, top 16 um, over the last week because he's just blocking a ton of shots. And so once that, if that number starts to normalize a little bit and he ends up not being, I mean, he's still going to be like, I think a top 15 source of blocks, um but you know if that falls off a little bit then you're looking at like rebounds and like really hanging on by a thread as far as uh field goal efficiency um he, he just needs more he needs he needs to i think he needs to be playing on a team that um that isn't trying to win and can just feed him you know i, I think that he can be an offensive player but it doesn't look like that's going to happen in atlanta uh, I also think it can get worse because once once Clint Capella comes back, should he come back, that's another big that's going to be in the rotation. So um, as always, I'm rooting for a trade for for Collins to get him out of there. And because <laughs> you're right, he's he's 25 years old. Yeah. You know, like there's there's no reason why this guy's best season uh, was when he was a 20 a 22 year old and he can't yeah for sure he can't replicate it for sure. um, or or come back to it. You know, maybe he morphs into like a sort of uh, a Bobby Portis kind of guy, just like points and boards um, with a little bit more blocks, uh, fewer threes, but uh, you know, maybe that's the path forward for JC. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think, I think Portis has a little more um, bucket getting ability. Like I I see ability. Uh, I think that's Mm -hmm. the only difference there, but I think, yeah, structurally. uh, Yeah. I think that type of role, uh, he could, that yeah, could be very similar. Um, well, since you did such a good job teasing <laughs> the, uh, you know, the, the six man turn into starter, who's, who's gotta be, you know, gotta get more, gotta be liberated. I, I, uh, I titled this, uh, is Tyus Jones approaching the Peter principle. Um, the Peter principle for those of you who might not be familiar is the idea that, uh, Within an organization, someone will be promoted and promoted and promoted until they are promoted beyond their level of competency. Um, and Tyus Jones has, has long held this uh, reputation as the best backup point guard in basketball. Um, but he's been filling in uh, lately for the Grizzlies because Desmond Bain has been 
having some inner in injury management with his toe. Obviously, John Morant is also a, a candidate for being uh, shut down judiciously. And so in seven starts this year, well, let me back up. Uh, he's having a career year already, uh, playing 24 minutes a game. He's averaging 10.8 points, which is a career high, 2.3 rebounds, 4.8 uh, dimes with a steal and a career best 1.63 pointers, um, which is, you know, a, a usable guy in a deep enough league. You know, the steals obviously play, um, the threes are great. The, the fact that he's shooting at such a, a high level there, um, has definitely impacted this, but son, when he starts 33 minutes a game, <laughs> 21.1 points, yeah. 2.6 boards, six excuse me seven point seven assists with almost two and a half steals per game he's almost making two and a half threes per game he's 54 50 75 on his shooting splits um what what is happening to Tyus jones when he starts games well i mean you know in daily fan in dfs you know he's always he's been a auto right morant's out you auto auto play Tyus jones i mean that's that, that's how it's been there's a reason why Memphis spent, you know, fifteen basically fifteen million a year on him to back up Moran. I mean, that's mm-hmm. and that's a lot of change, right? That's hefty. But uh, all the talk after they made that, you know, choice was like, hey, he's Tyus Jones. We really like Tyus Jones. He's a really good player, uh, and right, he's the best backup, you know, point guard in the in the league. You know, Morant has had some injury concerns, so uh, we always knew that he was good. What, you know, when I kind of looked at him. I was also because I wanted to kind of see when you know when Morant is healthy, right? It's not like mm-hmm. you know, it's not like he is nothing. Like he still provides utility, right? Even though he's playing only twenty to twenty-two minutes a game, I mean, there's games where he's still dishing out eight assists, right? So obviously the counting stats aren't going to be like you know like crazy, but um. Because I actually have him outside. I have him on two of my Morant teams, but on like a you know daily transaction type leagues. I think I have him in one, and the first time I picked him up was you know when Morant was out. But you know since then I've just held him because mm-hmm. uh, you get the upside when Morant is out. But then also I was looking at it. I was like, yeah, I mean even when he's only playing twenty, like he's still providing utility, right? So. Um, you know, so I, to me, that's the bigger thing here, right? Because, uh, you know, you drop him, like, it's going to be, you know, there's a lot of competition to get him, right? So when Morant is out, and then also you never know when that's going to be, right? So yeah, um, they, uh... so I don't think, you know, even if you have him, um, I still think you hold on to him because he has he is providing utility. So, like, yeah. That makes sense to me. I think, I think... What you said about like utility is a good thing to keep in mind. Obviously, you know the it's the scoring that jumps out at you when he's when he's For getting sure. that larger workload, um, and those shooting splits are outrageous. Yeah. Like fifty percent from three, making two and a half threes a game is it's not a any version of Tyus Jones <laughs> we've ever seen before. Um, but yeah, he does he does have this really attractive sort of floor of assists and steals um he doesn't turn the ball over from a point guard position which is obviously really valuable um 
He's given you more threes this year than he ever has. Um, but yeah, it's a, that assist and steal is like baked in um, with decent percentages. You know, the scoring is, you know, I don't know if he loves hearing his name called at the beginning or what, but um, when he does, that's that's when it's, you know, it's a dramatic increase. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that if you're able to, to maintain, just have him on the roster um, as, you know, a, a steals and, and assist specialists when everyone's healthy, great, because there is that um, that window of opportunity that will open occasionally when either Bain or Morant is out. Because, uh, yeah, he, he is just balling as a starter. Yeah, no, he's great. Um, yeah, he's, he's the real deal. You know, he really is. And, you know, like I said, often, more often than not, like if you follow the money, you know, like you, it probably, le- it usually leads you to the good place. And obviously, you know, you have to figure out which teams, you know, evaluate well and which teams spend their money well, right? Mm-hmm. But when, you know, a quality or organization like Memphis is, you know, they've been really good with player development or in terms of, uh, they've shown that they have a capacity to evaluate players properly. Uh, yeah, when they're, you know, spend that type of money on a player, I mean, your antennas should go up, right? And just say, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, because, you know, a lot, a lot, I mean, there's they're privy to certain information and to certain things that, you know, we don't see or, you know, we don't know about. Uh, and then, you know, they obviously have more uh, reps with that particular player. Uh, and then also at the end of the day, like, you know, like, who the fuck am I? <laughs> you know? Like, I'm, I'm no, like, you know, basketball guru, right? So yeah. it's, like, better to, like, hey, you know, obviously these guys, you know, get paid more. They spend more time evaluating. They, they you know, they're on a different level than me, right? So, um, you know, sometimes, you know, wisdom is in following the people that are, you know, better or smarter than you, right? So. <laughs> well, when you were describing the the – the Grizzlies there, it made me think of the Pelicans too, which is yeah. another organization that seems to be doing really well. And uh, I'm going to put you on the spot. Okay, do it. Who wins the West? I mean, my answer is there's just too many variables, right? To factor For sure. in, right? Um, well, you're going to give me a smart answer, not a take. Okay, know. I see what's going on. No, I mean, I mean that's just – I mean, just like things can change, right? Like Brooklyn yeah. was going nuts, right? And then KD gets hurt. He's out two weeks. And then, so even if you factor in the two weeks there, I mean, is it really two weeks? He could be out for two months, right? Mm-hmm. You know, he could get re-injured. Um, you know, the Lakers can make a, a big trade, right? Um, I just, yeah, there's just too many variables, I think, to where, um, I guess to, for me to try to answer that question, I think it's it's impossible, just because there's too many variables, right? Um, I guess in a world where there are no trades and whatever, no injuries or anything like that, where everything remains static as as it remains currently, um, I do like I do like Memphis a lot, and my basic thesis is is the game of death. And I was on this tip last year. All right, so two years ago was when they kind of, kind of like elevated, right? They they, they took the world by storm, kind of, right? And 
you know, at that time, I was like, even though they were super competitive and they had a chance, you know, every, you always have a fighter's chance if you're playing on that level. But I just felt like it was too early for them. There were some things that they needed to learn and they needed to experience before they could kind of, uh, you know, get to Kareem, right? And so last year, right, I mean, they had, they experienced some things, right? They experienced some tribulations, right? Some trials and, and I think, and this ties into our, you know, our pods before, like sometimes, you know, making mistakes is healthy. Like sometimes losing is a good thing and losing is necessary in order to get to that next level. Right. Yeah. You know, like the whole, like, you know, I, I, I mentioned this analogy a long time ago, but you know, the whole, like, pruning the trees, right? In order for a, a tree to truly grow healthy, you know, the gardener's got to come and prune the branches, right? And just got to slice some dice and take, you know, take off stuff in order for like the, the, the full growth to happen. So um, I think, you know, the Grizzlies obviously on a talent level, uh, depth level, like that's something that they've had for a few years now, right? Um, and so now I think just you know, because they play good defense too, right? I mean, I think they're the only team in the league that's top five or top, yeah, both top five or top 10 in both defensive and offensive uh, rating. Um, I may be wrong. I haven't checked in a, in a week or so, but. Uh, I mean, right? there, are a bunch of, there are a bunch of them in the top 10. Their offensive efficiency rating has dipped to 13. Oh, so good. So uh, they, do have the best, they do have the best defense, but the Celtics are, one in offense, eighth in defense. Cleveland is tenth in offense, second in defense. Memphis is thirteenth in offense, wow, they, first in defense. Wow, they dropped that low. Yeah, last time I checked. Brooklyn, Brooklyn is now in that group too, with the fifth best offense and the ninth best defense. Then the Pelicans with the seventh offense and fourth defense, and that is that. What what side uh, are you checking? This is dunks and threes. Dunks and so this threes? is uh, adjusted, I should say. Oh, okay. So their numbers are slightly different than what you would get. Um, got you. Okay, so if I go to like, NBA. like if I use NBA.com, Memphis is two in defense. No, so now they're eleventh, but before they were top ten. But anyways, mm-hmm. they're um, good. Yeah, no, they're very balanced. Um, they have a certain you know edge and attitude to them. Uh, you know, they have a good mix of youth, veteran. I think they have a lot of versatility, so they could play many different ways like they could play big they could play small fast slow um and like i said you know i just think the experience that and the journey that they've gone through over the last you know few seasons uh, i think that's a, that's you know i think they're ready yeah, i think they're ready now. yeah so i think that's going to take them take them over that's i think that's why i give them the edge in my mind over the pelicans because I, I do feel like the pelicans have really really strong depth also like what they're getting from Najee Marshall um, while B.I. has been out, what they're getting from Larry Nance. Um, I mean, they got some bulldog defenders with Alvarado. Dyson Daniels can guard. Um, I mean, C.J. CJ was a killer last night. He and J.V. just – I think they went for like 70 between the two of them. Like uh, that team is good, but they just – you know, talking about uh, – sort of having to to go through it you know they just they i guess they you know they've had some brushes they they played the suns really tough um 
but it's hard. That's what's, I think that's what's challenging about thinking about who's going to win the West is um, you either say it's someone that we've seen before, which means it's the Warriors um, or maybe the Suns, although like that is a, a really, that's a boat with some holes in it right now. Um, or you're trying to pick the, the team that cracks through, uh, be it Memphis or New Orleans or Denver uh, or, you know, the Clippers, like, um it's hard. You were, your answer was was well thought out, and I appreciate it. Even though you didn't just immediately say like, <laughs> you know, it's the Lakers, dummy. <laughs> it's not the Lakers. Yeah, it's definitely not the Lakers. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe the Toilet Bowl Championship or whatever. Um, yeah, they they got a long way. The Pelicans, I think, they're kind of like um, Memphis a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know they're young, they're versatile. They have a lot of length, uh, athletic. Uh, I think their main thing is they need to, like I said, they just need to go through it. They need to, they need to walk the steps up to Kareem, right? They got to go through each level. When they need Zion on the floor. But... <clears throat> but here's my other concern with them too, though. Um, you know, one obviously Brandon Ingram being out, so like just how everything fits in, but. Zion in the playoffs, I have some concerns. I have some concerns with him. You know, uh, I think having CJ and Brandon, you know, next to him, uh, that definitely helps. That helps a lot. But um, you know, when when things bog down in the playoffs, uh, and you know he's not able to uh, get to the rim at will. You know, there's going to be walls and there's going to be bigger defenders down there. Um, you know, they're going to force, I mean, they're going to scheme them to, you know, teams are going to, eventually they're going to be like, Zion, you beat us from the outside. We're taking away everything else. You beat us from the outside. And then we'll see. I, I have some, I have some doubts. I have some concerns. Yeah. You know, until I, yeah. until I see him, right, like take it to that level, uh, I have some concerns. You know, with that said, um, you know, Giannis is a similar type of player, right? And right, he was able to figure out, right, the system, the coach, Budenholzer was able to figure it out. So I'm not saying, like, uh, it's impossible. Um, the very similar players, but, you know, a counter to the, with that said, is that, you know, Giannis is, like, what, four or five inches taller <laughs> with the longer wingspan, yeah. right? So that, yeah. so I don't know if I can exactly, even though Zion and, and Giannis are similar players, the fact that Giannis, like that length and height, makes such a huge difference that I don't know if it, if that aspect of it directly translates to Zion too. So maybe that spread is not even something that you know can be, uh, you know, shortened shortened in for Zion. I don't know. So, mm-hmm. Like I said, I have some concerns. Yeah. Well, and you know, like the the kind of defensive playmaker that Giannis is. Yep. I mean, think about the, the plays that he made that won that series. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, just the, the eight and rejection is like a thing that I'll watch like once a month, just to feel good. You know, it's like, <laughs> Oh my God, I can't believe you recovered and did it. Um, I guess, you know, that's sort of the other, the other thing for me too, is like why I, I, I lean towards Memphis is, um, that the rim defense is unbelievable. Like Jaron Jackson Jr. could win defensive player of the year pretty easily, I think, yeah. you know, like uh, he's blocking like a million shots a game. It's over three. I think it's more than three and a third, yeah. actually. It's, it's crazy. Uh, wild. 
wild. Um, yeah, I mean, they can play any style. Like, you know, you try to do a mismatch, match, mismatch on them, they just they can bring in the pieces to negate that matchup, you know, that mismatch. So, <laughs> you know, I mean, they have shooting. I mean, Steven Adams is like mini Jokic now. I mean, it's crazy. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, they're... Yeah, I, I, I guess the one thing that could, you know, I guess their Achilles heel, I mean, free throw shooting, right? Mm, I mean, if, if yeah, game... well, having Morant too yeah. is one of your like primary ball handlers that that impacts it. Yeah, you know, so you know, playoffs things are tight, right? Tight game, you know, if, if a couple possessions, you know, left in the game, right? I mean, I mean, they're dead last in free throw percentage right now, um, and that's tough. That you know, that's really tough. So. Uh, you know, I would have to actually go back and see. I'm curious to see how many teams with the worst free throw percentage have won it all. I don't think it's many. It can't. I mean, it just like I feel like it would fly in the face of every high school coach I've ever played <laughs> You don't win games by missing free throws. Uh, a project for the next podcast. Yeah, actually, actually, I'm I'm interested to see. That. I'm gonna write that down right now, actually, because I'm kind of curious on that. Um. um well, before we get out of here, I want to do um, some rookies. Uh, in general, rookies are not super helpful players for fantasy basketball, and I don't necessarily think that any of these guys that I'm going to – well, one of them is definitely fantasy uh, worthy of consideration. But um, I mentioned this earlier about Dyson Daniels. Um, I was looking at defensive estimated plus minus, which is uh, through Dunction 3s. They have – Jaron Jackson Jr. in front by a million. <laughs> um, but Dyson Daniels, uh, this like 6'8 combo guard rookie who doesn't get a ton of time for the New Orleans Pelicans, is top 20 in defensive EPM. And that number includes seven players who have better numbers than him, but in fewer minutes. And he's played like almost 600 minutes. Um, some of the names that are behind him on this list Jimmy Butler, Kyle Anderson, Kawhi Leonard, Ben Simmons, Paul George, Joel Embiid, Giannis, Damn. Herb Jones, Rudy Gobert, Walker Kessler, Brooke Lopez. I mean, he's. I don't. I don't really know how estimated plus minus is calculated. I certainly don't understand how it's done defensively. Um, but this kid is going to be a stud defensively. He already is a stud defensively. Like thinking about the future of, of what's going on in New Orleans, like he he's just going to be a monster on that end once he learns how to shoot, which seems to be a common refrain with a lot of yeah. these rookies. So I, I drafted him last year in one of my dynasty leagues, one of my 30 teams. Um, and yeah, I, I, I dug in. I did a lot of research on him. Uh, I'm really I'm really high on him too. Uh, obviously, yeah, I mean, he showed in the G League that uh, he could, you know, be a defensive maven. Um, six eight, you know, it's kind of like Ben Simmons esque in that regard. Mm -hmm. Uh, that he's strong enough to kind of hold his own down low, but then he's quick enough to where he's able to stay in front of of players, uh, even quicker players. And then his length, uh, you know, he's able to contest shots, and it, it's hard for uh for players to get clean looks on him. Uh, so that was the one thing that that really stood out to me looking into him, and you know, I figure. You know, you play defense, you play good defense. Um, that's going to get you on the court. And especially because uh, at his height, um, 
like you just there's you don't find too many guys like that right so that kind of increases the the possibility of of playing time so that was the one the first thing i looked at and then two is like um like offense obviously if you're a zero on offense like you're not gonna play right so then you know the g league and you know prior to the g league and you know, australian stuff uh he's a very capable handler ball handler uh navigating pick and roll action like you know he has some really good assist numbers a really good passer uh he's able to like attack closeouts and you know get to the paint and you know he has a little floater game so that was good you know he has that in the bag and then obviously you know kind of like i guess his swing skill or the 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 thing that's gonna make or break him probably like in terms of determining uh what tier he ends up in as as an nba player you know is the shooting and yeah. um uh you know he was working with one of the coaches i forgot his name but one of the shooting coaches uh so he's put a lot of work into it like if you look at like his form from the g league to where his form is that now uh it's a lot cleaner a lot quicker it looks a lot better um i think uh, what's the number he was at 40 percent for a portion of the season but that was a small sample size um but he's not like a, a knockdown shooter but he's able to um you know connect yeah so 35 percent from three now it was it was closer to 40 earlier but you know granted it's a small volume right 1.5 yeah. per game but you know the stroke looks nice um you know so if he continues to work on the shot because he has handles right he's able to he's not just a spot up guy he's able to create on his own he's able to you know run offense um you know do pick and roll action you know he knows the right reads to make uh, where cutters are, you know, pass it to the corner, pass it to, you know, out up top, pass it down low. So I think his IQ is, is really good. So, you know, that, that whole package, um, I, I'm really bullish on the package. And then, so it, it, then it just comes down to, uh, will he be able to develop the shot consistently enough? And then I think more importantly, uh, the confidence that comes with that. Right, because um, ha, I was actually talking to my pops the other day, and we were talking about. Um, he was like asking me, like, "Oh, what happened to this guy? What happened to that guy?" So you know, going like like Adam Morrison, or you, you know, like, you know, what happened to what you know this guy? Why didn't he make it? And then we you know we're just kind of talking about it. it. It got me to thinking. I think a lot of guys, they come into the league. Um, one, I think defense is the one thing that prohibits them from playing. Right, like, you know, like Jimmer for dead, right? Like he mm. can get buckets, but he's just such a liability on defense. Like he's the coach is never gonna put him on the floor. But they tried, right? But he just got eaten alive, right? So the know, Kings did try. They yes. did, yeah, they tried. Then <laughs> they gave him a lot of opportunities, and like you know, he was able to score. He could, you know, he's like he could score in the NBA. Like he he was able to show that, but he just got eaten up so much on defense that the, there's just no way that the coach could play him. So I think defense is the number one thing. And then past that, it's like uh, mental and emotional capacity. So I think the, the second thing, and, and I don't know if this is right or wrong, but I always feel like Adam Morrison, I think his thing was probably, you know, physicality, athletically is probably one, you know, defense is probably part of it. But then also, you know, mentally, like, I don't know if he, he was able to hang with, like, a lot of the mental aspects of the game, right? Mm. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm right or wrong. I don't know. But I, I do feel like some guys, like, 
they're just they they can't handle it. Whether it be the intensity of it or the strength of it or the quickness of it, like you know, some guys I don't know. They just they're just not able to process it. You know, maybe the game is too fast or you know, dudes are talking too much shit to them. <laughs> you know, whatever. Like they just they just can't handle it, right? And then you know, I think that ties in with emotionally too, right? And I think emotionally comes down to all right. So if a guy gets to that level where you're breaking it down emotionally, that means playing time is probably sparse, right? So that when they do get the time, it's heightened pressure. So then they mm-hmm. feel more compelled. They have to perform, right? Or they're not going to get, you know, any more minutes at all, right? So then that adds that extra, like, that adds that extra element to like where they're already like, oh, you know, shit, like kind of like discombobulated. And then, and then, it, you know, the confidence, right? Then their confidence gets all messed up, right? And so, like, I see it a lot with with some guys, like, where their shot doesn't fall. And then, uh, you know, they may work on it. What are gonna, it just, they just can't, they can't do it. And then it gets in their head. Then they get Chuck mm-hmm. Knobloch scenario where they can't even throw the ball to first base, right? And right, then yeah. it's just, then they're toast. Then it's done, right? So, um, you know, the... I think Daniels, you know, he's going to have a place in the league because of his defense. No doubt about that. And there's a lot of guys that play in that role. Um, but if he's going to be, like, I think he has potential to be a, st- a starter, maybe even more than a starter, but then it comes to the offense, right? And yeah. I, I do feel pretty comfortable with him being able to initiate offense and run offense and find the right, you know, guys and stuff like that. Then it just comes down to the shooting, yeah. So, if his shot gets there, then yeah, I think uh, the ceiling's pretty high. I think. I have a uh, an Adam Morrison addendum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let, uh, let's hear it. I love it. Come on. Um, a guy who's in one of my uh, one of my home leagues. Um, apparently, I, he I don't know if he played D two or was doing a junior college, but he was up in up in Washington State okay. um, playing basketball. And found himself in runs with Adam Morrison right. after he had like flamed out of uh, of professional basketball. And I don't, you know, can't speak to the emotional toughness of Adam yeah. Morrison now. But Ross says that he was able to give Adam Morrison buckets in these runs. Wow. So wow. he's no I think Brian. The defense was yeah. He's no Brian Scalabrini. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's, no, yeah. no. He it, it was never a thing that he wanted to do. Apparently, right. it was was get down and guard. You know, I have no doubt that Adam Morrison is a killer when it comes to scoring in a uh, in whatever run you can put him in. Yeah, he'll get but, buckets, uh, but yeah. But yeah, if this guy that is like that, I, that I've played basketball with yeah. is able to score yeah. on a on a that's Morrison, not good. <laughs> I don't think he's interested in playing. <laughs> <laughs> that's not good. Um, All right, yo, Ross, I'm sorry. I gotta I gotta go somewhere. Um, so I apologize for cutting this short. But next pod, we'll make it about Drew. Again, you, you'll be the captain of the ship next pod as well. Um, what do I have to do to get out of this chair? <laughs> we can talk about it. If you don't want to, that's, <laughs> that, that's fine. Um, but uh, yeah, so I apologize for having to cut this uh, short. I, you noticed the phone call earlier. That was my wife. She's like, yo, we got to go. We got to go. So uh, right, happy, well, happy wife. Do, man. Yeah, happy wife, happy life, right? So, um, you know, thank you again for, you know, joining me. It's always, always fun talking hoops with you. Um, have a good week, sir. And Likewise. Take care, man. Talk. Later, man. See ya.